Worried about mom or dad falling? The Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health helps make their home safer, even if you can't be there. Symphony works with voice activation or a care button they can opt to wear, along with smart sensors for coverage around the home. With 24-7 emergency response and an app to tie it all together, you can monitor your loved one's well-being for enhanced peace of mind. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub. Good morning, folks. My name is Martin Shields. I'm a certified financial planner and wealth manager at Boucher Financial Group. And I'm going to be your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting in for my colleague, Steve Boucher, who's taking a break. And it's great to be here with you on this somewhat overcast morning. But uh, for those of you who listen, know that I'm, as much as I'm a financial uh, <clears throat> passionate about my finance and financial planning, I love weather too. And uh, it's looking, it looks like actually today may not be a rain out, which is good news for all of us. So hopefully we can get out and do something out in the yard or go for a walk or a bike ride or something. But it's great to be here with you to answer any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And I encourage you to call in with those questions. You can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, it's 800-825-5949. So welcome back to all of our weekly listeners and to any new listeners, it's great to have you here. A lot to discuss both with the markets and some financial planning ideas that you can implement in your own personal situation. Before we get into that discussion, though, just uh, talk about, I was looking at the uh, COVID numbers. I'm always looking at those, too, and uh, both for, I live in Saratoga County, and those have been declining, which is good. Um, and then also for New York State, really, it's gone down quite dramatically, which is fantastic news. So hopefully that trend will continue, and I'm hoping that all of our listeners out there have either been vaccinated or are going to be uh, getting scheduled to get vaccinated. I just got my second shot uh, last week, and it uh, went fine at Pfizer, seemed to go fine. And, uh, you know, really encourage everybody to get out there and get vaccinated. That's just so important for us to get back to normal. Um, I went out to dinner with my family last night. We sat outside, but nice evening here in Saratoga. And, you know, it's just uh, when I, I talk to folks that are a little concerned about it, which I can understand. Um, anything like this can be a little bit concerning. But the, the analogy I always make is, you know, two things. One is if you had a medical emergency, you know, would you just kind of take care of it on your own or would you be getting rushed to the hospital because you you think that modern medicine is going to be able to take care of you? Uh, and I think it's going, for most folks, it's going to be the latter, right? And, you know, the second thing is, you know, for myself at least, I had uh, hip surgery about a year and a half ago. And I was just absolutely amazed at how quickly I got out of the hospital, which was that day. Uh, how quickly I was back to walking, uh, which is like, you know, back to almost a normal walking in two weeks. And, uh, you know, where I stand now, which is kind of pretty much back to normal health. And to me, it's all because of modern medicine, right? And the, these vaccines, it, it's just how fortunate we are that we have that, this knowledge, these people who are so dedicated to what they do, that we've been able to get these vaccines in place. So, you know, whether you need to do your research, talk to a doctor or a friend, whatever, you know, make sure you feel comfortable with it. But I tell you, it's uh, it's the way back to whatever our, our new normal is. So hopefully you're going to get out there and get vaccinated and then we can see those numbers continue to decline, which is just great news. 
But let's move on to discussing some of the investment elements and what the markets are doing. But before we do, again, give me a call if you have any questions. You can reach me at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. So the markets pretty much were just down just a bit for the week. Uh, Friday's market kind of rallied back. Um, and, you know, this is kind of common uh, for the market where it's evaluating everything, right? So we've had a great year so far, uh, you know, the S&P 500 being up uh, about 10% plus for the year, which is uh, a great way to start in the middle of April. And, you know, the economic data and the corporate earnings are, are very good. So uh, earnings for the first quarter for the S&P 500, about 28% of uh, the S&P has reported earnings right now and those companies in there. And they all have significantly not just beat earnings, but they have also the forecast for future earnings uh, have been ramped up in pretty much every quarter. So that's good news, right? We've talked about this, uh, the valuation of companies in the market was very high, right? So it's called the PE ratio, price to earnings. So what are you paying for $1 of earnings? And that valuation for companies was very high uh, after the market rally of last year. But as you have earnings come up, uh, that ratio changes, right? Companies be become less uh, expensive and that's a good thing. So the PE ratio is starting to decline, go more, move a little bit more towards its historical average. And, you know, we'll see how the earnings continue to report for the remainder of the quarter. But <clears throat> right now, as things are going, this is a really good indication that uh, companies are, have done a good job managing cost, uh, but that the revenue side of the equation is really picking up. And that's great for what can be uh, a continued increase in the market for the rest of the year. And also just kind of uh, kind of good news that there's stabilization uh, in the market, meaning that, uh, you know, you got to have growth er in earnings and future cash flows for the market to stabilize and to go up. And that's what we're seeing. So that's good news. And then from an economic perspective, really across all fronts, from the, the labor markets, uh, from uh, GDP, gross domestic product, uh, just really solid data. And it just came out with the, what's called the U.S. Service uh, index, uh, and that's looking at uh, what kind of growth you're seeing in the service industry. And anything above 50 uh, is growth. If it's below 50, it's contraction. And for the last month, it came out at 63, which is one of the highest level uh, in the last 20 years. So really solid growth in the service industry. And, you know, as we talked about, um, you know, people, I tell you, last night, you just tell people I have just been so fed up with being cooped up inside that I just want to get out and spend some money. And, you know, there's going to be a number of things that propel that, in, including certainly a strong job market and the stimulus from the federal government. All those things will lead to uh, the economy being strong. One of the things that <clears throat> I was looking at, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that really is going to be a big uh, tailwind for the economy is people who have refinanced their mortgages over the last nine months. Uh, we, my wife and I, we fi refinanced our mortgage and we're able to get a mortgage below 3%, right? So, uh, you know, fantastically low rates. Uh, and, you know, from what we're going to do is just going to continue to pay down 
the mortgage at the same level we had previously, uh, but now we're going to be paying more principal than we would otherwise. But many folks have done what's called a cash out refinancing. So what that means is when they refinance, uh, they may, you know, add an extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars to the value of their mortgage, and they take that money out and they spend it. So uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it just depends on your circumstances. But you know, it is uh, additional debt that people are taking on. But in general, household debt has actually been very low from a historical perspective. And as we talked about, the, the savings rate over the last year has increased quite dramatically. So people in general are saving more than they have over the last 10 or 15 years. But with these cash out refinancing, what's important to know with those is it's at a very high level, relatively speaking, and that's more stimulus into the economy, right? So you can imagine that if somebody's taking out 20 or $30,000 uh, and adding that to the mortgage, so they're paying that off over 15 or 30 years, they're either going to be spending it somewhere in the economy. They could be maybe paying down credit card debt or something, but it's a real positive to the economy. And again, when we look at our forecast for the economy and the markets, we're looking at all these factors that could continue to push the economy higher. And, you know, definitely those types of uh, refinancing can, can do it, right? When there's really hundreds of or tens of billions of dollars that are coming out through uh, that type of refinancing, that's going to be a real positive to consumer spending and to the markets. So just something that we're when we're looking at all the data that we're taking into consideration is as kind of as we uh, formulate both our investment approach and kind of our outlook in the economy. Just a few other things we want to discuss here, but I encourage you to call in with any questions. And I always say there's no silly or stupid question except for the one that you don't ask. You may be doing your fellow listener a favor by calling in with that question. And you can reach me at one 800 825-5949. So just to kind of, I always like to talk about things that people should be aware of and try to stay away from. And one of those things that we see people coming in with uh, prospective clients and it almost, it, let me start, it never works out well. Uh, and that is publicly, uh, non-publicly traded REITs, right? So what that is, it's a REIT is a real estate investment trust. Uh, and that REIT, invest in some sort of real estate. It could be anything from uh, large uh, office buildings to apartment REITs to uh, hospitality and hotel REITs. There are REITs that focus on gas stations and fast food and uh, you, you name it, there could be a REIT that focuses on specific areas or very broadly uh, uh, real estate. And you can buy a REIT that's publicly traded if through Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, and it can be a U.S. REIT, it can be a global REIT, and that REIT is uh, it's publicly traded, so you can buy and sell it at any given day. A non-publicly traded REIT is the same concept, except for there is no market for it, right? You are basically buying into a partnership. You might be getting a K-1 for that partnership, and you cannot trade it uh, on the open market. The only way you can trade it is occasionally these publicly traded REITs um, will go out and allow you to sell it back to them, right? And what I will tell you, almost without failing, every time a prospective client comes in with these, two things. One is the person that sold it to them, they made a lot of money, right? There's big commissions to sell these uh, non-publicly traded REITs. And the other thing that happens too is that 
if you're going to sell it, you're going to sell it back at a huge discount, huge discount. It is stunning to me how, what type of discount people have to take to, to sell these back. And then here's the other element is many times you can't sell them back, right? There's a lockup period. There's a period of time where, you know, it's usually a very small window that you can uh, sell those back. So uh, what I would say, if you're listening here, if anybody's ever approaching you about buying a non-publicly traded REIT, that's uh, not something you want to do. And uh, maybe it's maybe not even the advisor you want to be working with because, uh, again, they're probably making a big commission on it. And more likely than not, it's not going to work in your favor. The other thing I want to highlight uh, for folks, again, things to be aware of, is what I always say about a financial custodian, and a financial custodian is, is any large uh, institution that holds uh, individuals' money, right? So that can be anything from Transamerica or Nationwide or Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard. These are all large financial custodians. But you can tell a very good financial custodian, custodian by how easily you can get your money. And what I mean by that is if you have an account at Vanguard and you want to transfer it to, let's say, Charles Schwab, you can call it Vanguard, and just by providing the proper uh, documentation, whether it's social security number, uh, date of birth, whatever they need, they, in most cases, will send you that check that day, right? They, they, and to me, you know, that is indication that Vanguard's a great company, right? They're gonna, if you need your money, they're gonna make sure that you're the person that you're saying that you are, that you're, they're gonna protect against fraud, but they're going to get your check as quickly as you can. But now there are other financial custodians, uh, you know, if, that make it more difficult. And one of them that I always find the most challenging as an advisor to get a client's money from is TIKREF. It can just be very challenging. They make put a lot of hoops for a client to get their money. And one of the areas where it's even the most difficult is with TIKREF's, uh, what they call it, guaranteed um, rate of return fund, right? And it's through TIA. So this is a fund that you put your money in and you get uh, a rate of return that's guaranteed, which is great, right? So it sounds good. But the problem is when you wanna get your money from that fund, it literally takes you 10 years to get it distributed. And the way they do that is they distribute it one-tenth every year over 10 years. So, <laughs> You can imagine that uh, when you go to get your money, you think you're going to roll it into an IRA, and then you're told that, no, you can roll it into an IRA, but it's going to take you 10 years to do that. Most people are a little bit surprised, to say the least. So, again, what I would say to you is, uh, if you're with TI Cref, you know, if you could be with another financial custodian, I would try to do that. But many times if you're working for a hospital or you're working at a university, there is not an option to go with a different one. So you have to go with TIACREF. But at the very minimum, I would absolutely stay away from their guaranteed uh, fund, right? It's just, for whatever that element of guaranteed is, uh, the restrictions on the backside are not worth it. And I think it's always important as investors or from an any business perspective to understand, that, you know, there are a number of factors that come into play as to, you know, how you evaluate a, an investment. And two of the most important ones are transparency and liquidity, right? And what I mean by transparency is, can you very easily understand uh, what is going on with that investment, right? If it's very complicated, that's usually a sign that it's not a great situation, right? Uh, 
Um, you want to have it be very uh, transparent as to what's going on with that business uh, and in that investment, that fund, whatever it is. And the other element is liquidity, right? If you're going to be locking up your money for a long period of time, you better be getting a much better rate of return for that lack of liquidity. And in those two situations I just described, there's certainly, you know, transparency is not as good in a non-publicly traded company, uh, but there's a lot, there's not much liquidity, right? And, you know, that's the one great thing about stocks or ETFs or mutual funds when you think about it, which is you want your money, you, you go ahead, you put an order in to sell, and in one or two days later, you have your cash, which, you know, there's a lot of value in that liquidity that you have to recognize so again, if you're in a situation where you're either not having transparency into an investment or where you have a lack of liquidity, you wanna make sure you get compensated for that. That's very important. We're gonna go back, to, we're gonna go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue the discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM, 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting in for my colleague, Stephen Boucher, who's taking a well-deserved break, and it's great to be here with you to answer any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And I encourage you to call in with those questions, and you can reach me at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, it's 800 800- So I don't know about you folks, but most every year, let's say every other year, I put mulch down uh, around our garden beds and certain trees and everything. And it's usually a multi-day process, right? (laughs) You get, I usually get uh, eight to 10 yards, which is a massive pile of mulch uh, dropped in my driveway and, uh, you know, wheel bearing it. Uh, around to the different locations and spreading it and uh, it takes it's a workout and it takes multiple days of 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 doing that but this year uh, i was fortunate there's a neighbor that lives right outside our development and uh, he has a front loader and uh, he brought the mulch over his his dump truck too brought a mulch over and uh and in between he and i uh we were able to spread it in just about three or four hours yesterday so what uh, was a multi-day job uh, now became a three or four hour job. And I will tell you that uh, it is worth every penny I will be paying uh, this friend of ours to, to help for the help. And, uh, you know, uh, it's definitely one of those tasks where I actually don't really mind it, but it just takes so long to do. Uh, so to have it done in three or four hours, uh, I'm way ahead. So I feel very fortunate in that. Well, let's go ahead and continue our discussion on some financial planning ideas that you can implement in your own personal situation. And one of the things I want to talk about is just, again, some rule of thumbs for being prepared for retirement. Just these are the things that we talk about. Just if you can put this in your own personal situation, you're going to be successful. I'm going to tell you right now, if you can do this, you're going to be successful. And the three elements that we're always giving people who are in the accumulation stages of their life, right? So that they're saving money. First is making sure that they're saving enough. And you wanna be saving around 10 to 15% of your gross income, right? If you're younger, 
you know, you could be low, more on that 10% if you start off right away, right? If you start doing this when you're 22, 23 years old, you start saving 10%, you're going to be in a good spot. You I absolutely are going to be in a good spot. Now, if you're starting later, you're going to want to be in that higher range, right? You're going to want to be 15%, potentially even more. You might have to be more in the 20% range. So just kind of consider where you are. And the earlier you can start, the power of compounding in the market is just so valuable. The next is how you are invested, right? And for most folks, they're doing this uh, through their 401k. You know, they may have an outside account. But what I would suggest to you is trying to be have a largest allocation to equity that you can, right? Whether it can be 100% or 90 or 80%, uh, you know, the lowest you should be in the, is the 70% range in, in your retirement accounts. But the larger the allocation you can be in a diversified portfolio in equity, you're just going to be in a great spot to, to not only save the right amount of money, but have the growth that you need, right? So, I mean, you really want to be getting growth of 6 7 8% annually. And the larger amount that you have to equities over time, right, 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to get that growth that gets you where you need to be. And then the final amount, is, the final number is understanding what you can take out of a portfolio when you retire, right? And the rule of thumb is somewhere between four to five percent, um, and you know that is contingent upon what uh, future rates of return are. So you got to be aware of that. But you know that can get you where you need to be. So you look at those three numbers, and in just from a back of the envelope perspective, that gives you determination as to are you going to be successful uh, with what you're doing for planning for retirement. And, you know, I will tell you that, you know, this isn't rocket science, especially during the accumulation stage. You know, when you start, we go into retirement and you got to take distributions, it gets a lot more complicated. But when you are, you know, in the accumulation stage, if you just follow those three items, uh, you will actually be 100% successful. I, I will say that it really is that simple. And once you get it into place, it's it's a set it and forget it, right? You know, you just get this going and you don't even think about it. And, you know, if you look at it once or twice a year, then you're in a good spot. And, you know, I've said this, we say this all the time. You know, we see people that come in, they're making a million dollars a year and they're not saving enough for retirement. Because remember, if you're making a lot of money, you got to save that much more to be in a good spot for retirement. And then we have many clients, uh, just rock star savers, right? <laughs> These folks just are excellent savers. We love them as clients. They're just great folks. They're smart about spending. And they're a great spot for retirement, just in a really good spot because they've done all the right things from the very beginning. So I would really encourage you to right now, make sure, do those, look at those three items that I gave you to make sure that you're in a good spot for retirement and that you're not gonna be sorry about it at the end. We're gonna go back to commercial break, but come, come back and join us as we continue our discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM and 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields and I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting in for my colleague, Steve Boucher, and it's great to be here with you on this Sunday morning. I hope that you're doing well. This Friday, Friday. critics are calling A Quiet Place Part 2 phenomenal. This is the experience theaters were made for. 
A Quiet Place. Rated PG-13. This Friday. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And I encourage you to call in with any questions you may have. You can reach me at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, 800-825-5949. So just want to continue our discussion on some financial planning uh, areas that you should be aware of and things that you can do in your, your own personal situation. And a lot of these things that I bring up here are things that we come across when talking with either prospective clients or uh, with existing clients. And just, you know, it just, I think it's important as we see this in, in our conversations that we highlight this for our listeners and that uh, you can be aware of it. And one of the things that we're seeing uh, quite often we'll have an existing client or a prospective client come in with an opportunity to retire and they're working for a large company where they have a pension and then they have the opportunity to uh, either take a lump sum uh, from that pension or just keep with the annuity payout right so just you know when you get your monthly amount for the rest of your life or you just take a lump sum and and we provide usually an analysis that starts looking at the the actual numbers uh, the quantitative approach to this uh, but then there's also that what's called a qualitative approach, right? So, you know, do you want to have control over the asset or do you want the other, the company to have control? Uh, you know, what is, uh, is it, are you concerned about inflation? Because most pensions don't have an inflation factor that bumps that up. If you are, then, you know, maybe having control is more important. So there's a number of different factors that you look at, but, you know, one of the things that drives the size of that lump sum distribution uh, is the current interest rate environment, right? So, you know, with these companies, when they're providing uh, the annuity payout, really what they're doing is they're having what's called a bond ladder that uh, is, you know, very secure, that allows, that has bonds maturing every year. And they basically have that ladder go out over 20 plus years so that when, uh, you know, some of those bonds mature, they just buy another set of bonds for another 20 years and they just kind of keep replacing them. But what happens is when interest rates are very low, uh, it gets very challenging for companies to be able to uh, keep that income coming from that bond ladder. Uh, and what happens is that liability on their balance sheet actually goes up, right? So they've got to have more money in place to cover that liability over uh, a lifetime. And the other element is, you know, the longer that the expected lifetime is for individuals, well, they're going to be paying that money out over a longer time, pe- time period. So with interest rates so low, the pension amount, that uh, the lump sum amount that we're seeing has risen quite dramatically. Uh, It is substantially greater now than it was three or four years ago. Uh, And that's just a function of rates being lower so that now, uh, again, companies need to have more money on their balance sheet to cover that liability. And they're willing to give uh, retirees more money to forego taking that annuity, right? So it really is something that I would encourage you to look at, which is if you have the opportunity to take the lump sum, at least look at that option because it could be a little more appealing than you might've anticipated. Uh, And that's what we're seeing with a a lot of clients. 
you know, I think with, with us, you know, from our perspective, we're kind of indifferent, you know, it's kind of, it can be a gray area many times as to whether, you know, people take that lump sum or the payout. But the other thing to remember is that um, for a lot of folks, they want control over that asset, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's, it can happen that these companies uh, run into financial trouble. And, you know, again, you're talking about a long time period, you're talking 20, 30 years for many folks, right? So, you know, a company may be good for the next year or two or five or 10 even, but when you start talking 20 or 30 years, you know, it can be more challenging. So, um, you know, to have that asset and, you know, be able to control it. And what I always say though, is with anything like this, the one thing you want to make sure is that you have a plan in place, right? That you're just not winging it because that is that asset that you're getting, that's going to be providing your income for a long period of time. So, you want to make sure that you're not just winging it, that you really know what you're going to be doing, whether it's working by yourself or with an advisor, and that you feel comfortable with that plan, because that's just very important uh, if you're going to make the decision to take the lump sum. Well, let's move on to another topic, but before we do, uh, again, if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call. You can reach me at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. So one of the things I want to talk about is just, you know, people always ask if, you know, we're concerned about the markets, you know, we're really kind of, somebody could say we're in a 12-year bull market, and, you know, I talked earlier in the show a little bit about price-to-earnings ratios, so valuations, and, you know, just is, is there any concerns? And, you know, in general, uh, we're not. We're pretty optimistic as far as the economy and the markets. Um, but, you know, I always say we live in a world of global risk, right? And... Nobody would have anticipated that we were going to be in a global pandemic as we started last year. So, you know, what I could tell you about concerns for this year, it's, you know, I, there are things that we're aware of, but there's a lot of stuff that we don't even know, right? That nobody knows right now that could be a concern. And what I always say, though, is people lose more money about being fearful of a potential bear market than the actual bear market itself. So what do I mean by that? So... You know, we see this, you know, a lot of times that folks start saying, hey, uh, you know, I, I think there's going to be a correction in the market. So I want to pull back or God forbid, I want to go to cash. Right. And by becoming more conservative, they give themselves peace of mind. And that's that's great. And again, this is not a bad time to, you know, kind of evaluate your risk tolerance and what you're good with. But, you know, so you, you basically are concerned about a bear market. So you pull back, or you go to cash and. You know, if it happens, then you time it right and you buy at the bottom. Well, hey, life is great, right? But that is, let me just tell you, that doesn't happen that often because what also happens when people do that is when the market starts correcting, they keep thinking it's going to go lower, right? So they don't buy in or they become even more fearful, right? So, you know, the only way that works is if you sell high and you buy low. That's, that's the only way it works. That's really difficult to do. So they go ahead and they're fearful of a bear market. They pull back on their equity exposure. And, you know, let's say the market keeps going up. Now, you know, they're concerned about losing five or 10% or whatever that amount was. Well, now they're in theory losing the same amount of money because they're not participating in the upside with the market, right? So it is just so important to always ask yourself the question, am I a long-term investor? And, you know, even as you get older, the fact of the matter is that you're more likely probably a long-term investor because you don't know how long you're going to live. And, you know, this money's probably going to pass on to your next generation. 
So you might as well stay invested for them. And that makes sense for a lot of different reasons. But just always ask yourself that, right? And I always say, you know, you really, you got to kind of change your mindset about what it means to be an investor. You're really, if you're in the markets, you're a small Warren Buffett, right? And I always say, you know, Warren Buffett isn't saying, oh, there's volatility or I'm concerned about a bear market, so I'm going to sell company XYZ. You know, all he's looking at now, he's buying individual companies is, hey, is this a good company? Do I want to be holding this company long term? And all you need to say is, hey, you know, am I okay having equity exposure and being in stocks? And, you know, okay, and as long as you answer yes to that question, then, you know, trying to time it is just a, a waste of time. So really something to be aware of. We're going to move on to another topic. But again, if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call. You can reach me at 800-825-5949. Again, 800-825-5949. So let me talk to you about something that we see uh, with 401k plans. And, you know, when people ask us, um, you know, if I have money in a 401k plan and I'm no longer working there, what should I do with it? And our answer is pretty much always you should roll it into an IRA. And that's whether that's, you know, going to come work with, with us or just on your own, you really should always roll it into an IRA because now, you know, you can really control how that uh, money is invested. Uh, you're going to be saving on expenses for third party administration costs for, record keeping cost for advisor cost. So really, if you can go ahead and roll into an IRA, you really always want to do that. But again, no different than the lump sum amount. The only caveat I always say to that is you got to have a plan in place, folks, right? You can't just be winging this and hope that it works out or going to decide that you're going to be a day trader and buy a whole bunch of individual stocks. That's, uh, that's probably not going to work out. You're better off just keeping your money in the 401k plan. But if you have a well thought out plan and a diversified portfolio, you really are better off doing that. And one of the things that you can do, many plans allow if you're either 55 or 59 and a half to do what's called an in-service distribution. And what that is, is where you can take money out. Many times it can be um, all, the full balance of your uh, account and that you can still contribute to the 401k, but it's a full balance that you have or sometimes it's at 75% of the balance, depends on the plan. And then you can roll that money into an IRA. And you know what I always, always say to folks is like, that is absolutely what you wanna do because you think about that. Let's just say you, you know, you've done well, you have a million dollars in a 401k plan. If you can roll either all of that or 75% of that into an IRA and save paying expenses on that, you, you're gonna to wanna to do that. That's just, again, you gotta have a plan in place, but if you have a plan in place, that is a no-brainer. So what I would say to you is if you're 55 and older or you're 59 and a half and older, check with your plan and see if you can do an in-service distribution because it's definitely going to uh, save you expenses. You're going to now have control over that asset. Uh, and I always say to folks, like pretty much everybody out there at some point is going to have an IRA, a taxable account, and a Roth IRA. So you know, go ahead and get it established. Uh, it's a good thing. You want to go ahead and do that. Well, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue the discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM and 810 AM. Good morning, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. 
It's great to be here with you on this spring Sunday morning. And I encourage you to call in with any questions that you may have. And you can reach me at 800-825-5949. So let's continue our discussion on some financial planning uh, ideas that you can implement in your own personal situation. And this conversation I'm going, goes out to all small business owners. Um, so it, it, we work with many small business owners, uh, and I think you just add a, lot, a tremendous amount of value uh, for them. And you know, we're basically our client's personal CFO, and whether it's selling their business, whether it's putting in a retirement plan, whether it's even you know helping them understand uh, you know about refinancing uh, different capital purchases or whatever, or putting them in touch with the right uh, CPAs or uh, attorneys. That's what we're involved with with our small business owners. Um, but, you know, there's two uh, areas that I just really want to highlight for folks as far as being able to save for retirement. One is what's called an individual 401k. And so if you're a got a business, but you're you're working by yourself. Right. And, you know, we see this a lot with uh, somebody has a business and you can actually you can do it with two people, uh, husband, wife, or uh, you can have a, what's called a dual 401k. But the, the simplest way to do it is what's called an individual 401k. And you have your own consulting business, let's say, or some business that you're doing it on your own. Um, you can actually set up an individual 401k plan, and it, it operates just like a standard 401k plan, uh, except for it's just much simpler and the, the costs are much lower. You're not paying for from. Uh, you might be have to pay for third-party administration costs for testing, but you're not paying for record keeping and just you know we have many clients. We're just managing that like an individual IRA account. So real simple. Uh, but the great thing about it is you can put in the employee amount, which, uh, which would be $26,000 if you're 50 and older, but you can also put in the employer amount because you're both, right? The employee and the employer. Uh, and so you can put up to $58,000 uh, tax-free, right? So it is a great vehicle to utilize uh, if you've got, again, a business where you're the sole employee. Uh, not much in the way of expenses, really very little in the way is, as far as regulation. Again, you, if you have over $250,000 in the plan, you do have to file what's called a Form 5500, but uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's not that complicated. You know, you have your CPA or whoever do it, but just something that you should be aware of that, you know, could be very valuable for you to lower your tax liability and get yourself prepared for retirement. Well, we're going to go to the phone lines. We have Rick from Saratoga. Rick, you there? Yes, I am here. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, no problem. What can I help you with? Well, I've got a uh, 401k plan that's uh, kind of basic and generic. It doesn't have a whole lot of options. And uh, okay. the only bond option itself is just an index bond fund. The only real alternative kind of a fund is a real estate fund. So at my age, I probably want to be about 60-40 equities to uh, non-equities. But... Um, with the way the bond market is, would I just put it? I can also put it in cash, which is almost earning nothing. Would it would would it be better to have that thirty to forty percent of that bond index fund, or a little bit in the real estate, or just all of that portion in cash? Well, let me ask this question, Rick. How, how long before you retire? Yeah. About three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. Um. Now, I would I would do is. You know, if you want to put 10% in cash, that's fine. But, you know, you still have three years. I would I would still kind of keep it between the, the real estate fund and the bond fund. 
again, yeah. you, you know, if you want to just adjust that with, you see what you're talking about is interest rate risk, right? Interest rates go up, the value yeah. of bond funds go down. That's what we've seen year to date. That could, could continue to happen over the next year or two. Um, so again, maybe put 10% into cash, 15. But, you know, the thing to remember is, you know, those bonds, they're also producing income for you. So you may see some ups or downs in the, in the value. Um, and REITs have done very well year to date, relatively speaking. I mean, it's amazing how well they've done. So, and they're going to be yielding pretty, uh, pretty strongly for you. So the thing you have to remember with REITs is it's, it's actually part of the S&P 500, right? It's actually a sector within the S&P 500. So, you know, it's called an alternative by many folks, but it's, it's really not. It's an equity. Uh, you know, it's, it's got a little bit different type of characteristics than some other stocks. So, um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, and, and again, you don't have to be 60, 40, because the thing to remember is, you know, what we always say is, you know, you plan on retiring, you don't plan on dying. Right. And so you got another 30 plus years. Uh, and the other thing too, is look at, let's just say the market goes down why, you know, right before you retire, you know, you're going to be able to you're going to move that money into a, you know, an IRA and then buy immediately into that depressed market. And, you know, it's one of those things where, it, you know, even, uh, do you have any outside cash? Oh, yeah. In, in, yeah. So, you know, again, as long as you, your overall mix of assets, you know, you, you could sustain through a, a little bit of a downturn, uh, then, you know, that's, uh, you know, you're going to be in a good spot. But, you know, I think 60-40 would be the most conservative I want. We have many folks that stay, even retirees who are in the are 80 20 allocation. So, yeah, so if, I, if I'm going to make any changes, maybe add 10%, 15% to cash, but otherwise I'd keep your allocation the same. Yeah, makes sense. Appreciate it. You got it. Take care now. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, Rich brings up a good point, right? Which is, you know, it, it, I always say it, three years is usually maybe five years, but really three years, especially when the market's kind of hitting all-time highs. It's not a bad time to to make that adjustment, and in, in particular in a 401k plan, right? So we have many clients that are in 80-20 allocation, and we don't make any changes to that because the, the, here's the thing we do when you're getting close to retirement. We're going to put, uh, we're getting maybe within a year, we're going to put 20, uh, two years worth of your distributions, uh, what your, whatever your monthly distributions are going to be, in a more conservative allocation, right? So, you know, if you can sustain through a downturn that's a, you know, a, you know, three months, six months, even in 08, 09, having that two years would get you through that time period, right? That two years of more conservative allocation. So, you know, many of our clients, they're retirees, they're in our 80-20, they're in our growth allocation. But again, we have their distributions put aside in a more conservative allocation to be able to provide those distributions without selling equities when the market's down. So, um, yeah, and, you know, we're, we're in a challenging environment for bonds. It, we are. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, we are in a world of global risk. So whatever, you know, you, you, you know, we think may happen this year, we just don't know. And in most cases like that index, you know, if something happens and there's a crisis, that uh, bond index is probably going to do pretty well. That's how most of them are, are set up. So um, not, not a bad question whatsoever. But let's go back to the, the small business owner. So we talked about the individual 401k and what that being a great uh, vehicle. The other thing is what's called a SEP IRA. And the great thing about a SEP IRA is, and we see this many times with our clients, 
you know, you could be working for a company and you have a 401k and you're maxing what you're putting in that, but then you have a side business, right? And you're doing very well with that side business and you like to shelter some of that income. A SEP IRA, you can put up to 25% of your income uh, into a SEP IRA and that can be in addition to what you're putting into the 401k, right? So it doesn't cap out uh, with what just the maximum amount of $58,000 that you put into your 401k. And so it is a great vehicle for folks to be able to have a, a side business, uh, even if they're maxing out on their 401k, to be able to shelter more money into that SEP IRA. Uh, and it's very simple to set up, uh, not a lot of regulations with it. Uh, and you know, with our firm, we can manage just like an individual account. So really a, a great vehicle uh, for folks to consider who again, who are working for a company, but have an outside business that they wanna shelter some additional money. Because if you have a 401k or 43B at the company that where you work or the organization where you work, you can't, let's say you have an outside business, you cannot set up another individual 401k, right? You, you can't do that or you can, but you're gonna cap out at that same $58,000. So uh, it doesn't really matter so much, but you can, now the flip side of that, that SEP IRA can be in addition to that. Well, we're going to go to the phone lines. We have Jonathan from Saratoga. Jonathan, how you doing? Good. Yes, Fred, thank you. Yeah, we're going to talk about GE. GE, all right. Yep, so, you know, GE stocks kind of maybe <laughs> coming back from the dead. It looks like Lazarus. Uh, you know, that's a great question. We get this a lot. We have a lot of clients that that have had GE. We, we sold most of our GE back... Uh, number of years ago when it was you know, more in the $20 range, high teens, it's now uh, just about $13 and a half. Uh, you know, this is what I would say with GE. Uh, you know, I, I think it's turning the corner. Uh, it certainly has got some challenges, it's still in place. Uh, you know, if you're owning a lot, you know, to buy it, you know, if you want to be adding it to a little bit to your portfolio, it, it may not be a bad idea, but I think what, what I would say more so is if you're owning it uh, and you own a large position of it, this is not a bad time to kind of lighten up on that, right? Uh, you know, we have many clients that are really loaded up with GE, or I'm sorry, prospective clients that come in, they're loaded up with GE. And, you know, we always give them guidance that, you know, you want to diversify that risk, right? Because you, you, you see what can happen with it. So as far as buying it, not a bad time to buy. Uh, but as far as selling it, if you own a lot of it, uh, I would probably take this time to do that and, and, and sell some of it. And, you know, we talk about, you know, really being aware of single stock risk, right? If you own a lot of one company and, you know, you, you see this across the board, you know, remember when GE, people would say they didn't need to diversify because GE owned so many different businesses. But uh, if it makes up more than 5% at the most 10% of your portfolio, you really need to have a plan in place to be diversifying out of that. It's just a very important thing it's called, as far as risk mitigation, right? So just want to be aware of that and make adjustments that you're going to be in a good spot. Well, folks, it's been a great hour with you. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, come back and join us as we continue the discussion next week. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY 103.1 FM and 810 AM. Folks, have a great day and make sure you take care of one another. 
Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more.